begin in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and we're going to notice the first six verses. Mark 6, 1 through 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. Thomas Wolfe wrote a novel, You Can't Go Home Again. It's about a man named George Weber. George, in the novel, was a successful author, and he wrote this book, and it was about his hometown. And after having written this book about his hometown and having such success with this book, he returned home, and when he returned home, he was expecting this hero's welcome because he had written this book, and he had had great success, and it was about his hometown, and so he expected this great uh, reception when he got there, but when he got there... Instead of having this great reception, he was driven out of his own hometown by his friends and his family. And of course, the reception that he received shook the man and it upset him and and he didn't really know what to do. So what he did was he just left his hometown behind. He just left and and he went out and and he went to another place and he just stayed there. And so he sat there and he, he went away and he said, well, I'm just going to find myself, whatever that means. So he just left to go find himself, and and he went to, to go figure out who he was. And so here's what George discovered. What he decided was those that who, who those who know you best tend to respect you the least. Now the text before us speaks about Jesus' return to Nazareth. He was going home again. But his return home didn't go the way that anyone would expect it to have gone. Considering the fact that he was well known throughout the countryside for a lot of things, that you would expect a person to have received a hero's welcome into his own hometown. He was well known for preaching, for teaching, for healing the sick, for raising the dead, for casting demons out of the afflicted, and for having control over the forces of nature. He was well known for all of those things. And so it gets home, and after having proven time and time again that he was something very special, something very different from anyone else who had ever lived, He did not receive the hero's welcome that he should have received. Now, of course, the time before that, that he had been to Nazareth, didn't go so well either. 
Of course, upon that time, he had gone into the synagogue and he had read from Isaiah 61, and this can be found in Luke 4, verses 16 through 30. He stood up and he read from Isaiah 61. He claimed to be exactly what he was, the Messiah. And it so upset the people that they decided they wanted to kill him and they tried to get him up onto the cliff of a mountain and throw him off headlong to kill him. And so it didn't work, obviously. And so he just walked through them and he went out of town. And so he he went out into the other parts of Galilee and he was teaching and preaching and healing and, and doing all of these other things for a year. And so after that year was over, he came back to Nazareth, the very place where he had been rejected, to give these same folks, his family, his friends, and his neighbors another chance to hear his message and to accept his message. Now, do you know what we call that? That's what God knows is grace. That's grace, isn't it? That's unmerited favor. That's a chance. That's an opportunity to do the right thing. And so He offered that to them. An undeserved opportunity at life. Now, it appears he was ignored once he got home until the Sabbath day when everyone showed up at the synagogue. Now, the title of the sermon this afternoon is Sometimes You Can't Go Home. I want us to consider his return visit to Nazareth, what happened there, what it has to say about the lost, and what it has to say about the saved. I want us to notice the reaction to his preaching and his person and how that reaction cost these people his power. Now, the people were shocked at his preaching. That's our first point. He came into town. He began to preach on the Sabbath, and they were shocked. In fact, it says they were astonished. Let's look at that phrase. This word, were astonished, or this phrase, were astonished, that means to strike with panic or shock is what that means. They literally were filled with some type of fear. Because really, when you begin to panic about something, that's a sense of fear, right? You're, you have a sense of, of fear or some kind of an anxiety. You want to you want to get yourself away from that situation. You don't like what's going on around you. You don't like hearing what you're hearing. You don't like seeing what you're seeing. And you want to extract yourself from that situation. And that's exactly what we're seeing in this context. They were astonished. They were filled with fear. They began to speak among themselves about three areas of the Lord's work. Now notice, they began to talk about His words, His wisdom, and His works. They didn't quite understand what was going on with Him. They couldn't explain it. When Jesus preached, He did it with grace and charm. He did it with divine authority. And He did not speak like the local rabbis did. Now when the local rabbis spoke, they spoke and they quoted other rabbis. They didn't speak as if they had authority. They quoted other rabbis. They had no sense of certainty in their words. That's not how Jesus spoke. That's not how He spoke. When He spoke, He spoke with authority. He spoke like He knew what He was saying. He spoke like He understood what the outcome would be. He left no doubt in the minds of His hearers that His words must be either accepted or rejected. There was no wiggle room. You either take it or you leave it, and it's up to you. You know where I stand, right? That was, that was the message that the people received. In fact, when the officers of the Pharisees 
were sent to listen to Jesus' teaching. They came back with a message, and their response was, Never man spake like this man, John seven forty six. We've never heard this before. Can you imagine the feeling those Pharisees had when they came back and heard that message? You know who, they, who those men had been hearing? Them. They'd been hearing those Pharisees. We've never heard anyone speak like this man. Now the part that they didn't say but was on everybody's mind, including you people, including y'all. We've never heard anyone speak like this. This man is something special. Did that register with them? Not at all. When he spoke, his words were filled with truth. They heard him declare the old truths in the new way. The new kingdom was coming. It was coming. He was talking about it. And he wanted them to be a part of it. But they didn't want it. They listened as he taught spiritual truth by using common and everyday things that they could understand. Now his illustrations may have been common. But his message was heavenly. And he talked about that coming kingdom. His wisdom left them shaken and left them shaking their heads in disbelief. They just could not wrap their minds around it. In Jesus' works, the things He had done had preceded Him before He even got to Nazareth. They'd heard about it. They heard about the boy from Nazareth. He had performed all those things. And they could not believe a young man, one of their own, someone who grew up there, was doing the things that they were hearing about. They could not believe that this was someone from their own town. That's hard, right? It was hard to believe what they were hearing and about whom they were hearing it. They were astonished. But you see, that same message and that same uh, attitude still affects people in the same way today. Nothing has changed. Let's notice a few things. When one reads the Bible and its message is studied... It can cause one to be astonished. It can cause panic. It can cause panic. It can cause one to consider not wanting to hear that message today. Notice some of the claims of the Bible. All people are sinners once they reach the age of accountability. Who wants to hear that? Isn't it much easier just to not listen to anything about that? Just live and just be a, just at least be a halfway decent person. And, and just don't talk to me about religion. All people are sinners when they reach the age of accountability. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 I don't really want to hear that. That might cause someone to become a little anxious in life. But that's the message of the Bible. Without the blood of Jesus, all those sinners will be in hell for eternity. That's not something we want to be a part of, is it? Is that a reality anyone wants to embrace? Well, no, no, who wants that? You see, but to avoid that, you have to have some responsibility in life, right? To, to avoid that, there are certain things you've got to do, and a lot of people don't want to do that, so isn't it better just to ignore that? That can cause a little anxiety in life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, Romans 2, 8 through 9. Man, who wants to hear that? 
Well, see, that's part of the biblical message. Jesus is the only way to be saved from sin. Isn't that a little legalistic? Isn't that a little narrow-minded? That doesn't fit into the progressive message of the world, does it? Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. How's that going to fit in the PC culture? doesn't fit very well. That might cause some panic in the world. All other religions in the world are false. All other religions in the world are false. And if that is true, they all will lead a person to hell. That will cause anxiety. Who wants to hear that? Nobody wants to hear that. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. John 3.36 Nobody wants to hear that message. Most people don't want to hear that message. Will that message cause some anxiety and some panic? Well, sure it will. But does that relieve anyone from preaching that? Did that stop Jesus from preaching His message? He's the one who sent that message. That's a hard message to preach. Isn't it a lot easier just to preach Jesus is love? Because that's part of the message. Part of the message. The people were shocked. See, these are some amazing claims because they condemn most of the world to a damnation for eternity. Matthew seven thirteen through 14. And when people hear it, that causes a sense of panic and anxiety. And we read that in Mark 6, 1 through 6. What's changed today? Not a lot has changed. Therefore, those people rejected it, and most people were rejected today. The people were shocked by Jesus' preaching, and they stumbled over His person. They rejected Him because they recognized who He was. They said, wait a minute, we know this guy. We know Him. He grew up here. So, how's He anything special? You know, that happens, doesn't it? That happens, doesn't it? They knew who He was. They thought they knew everything about Him that there was to know. He had grown up among them. He was one of their own. They watched Him grow up. They probably watched Him play in the streets. They knew his family. They knew him. They knew he had never been to any kind of a, a one of the divinity schools. They knew he had no kind of training. They knew everything about him. Or so they thought. Or so they thought. To them, Jesus was just another boy from Nazareth. And he did not deserve their respect. He was just... A common man. Now here's something else. They knew his occupation. They called him the carpenter. Isn't that the carpenter? He's coming in. He's got this message. It's a little different what they're used to hearing. And they're, they're, they're standing there and they're saying, Now wait a minute here. Isn't he the carpenter? He's just a carpenter. And he's coming in telling us this? You see, a carpenter in that time wasn't always a, a house builder. They, they oftentimes built yoke for oxen. 
They might build plows. They might build tables or chairs or beds or other furniture. They, they weren't always house builders. They might build... Uh, uh, that word might refer to someone who, who could do anything from carving a plate to building a house. So it could be anything in between. Okay? So the people of Nazareth probably owned some possessions. They probably had some things in their homes that Jesus had built. And so they're looking at this man, and they, they saw him as just a common craftsman, maybe not even a good one. Now, you know he was a fabulous craftsman, right? He probably the best. Probably the best. But they wouldn't give him any kind of, uh, uh, you know, accolades for that. But they're looking at him, and they're saying, you're no better than we are. Why should we listen to you? You're just... You're just the carpenter. But they also resented him. In fact, it says they were offended. Now, this word offended carries with it the idea uh, to cause to stumble. Because they couldn't explain him, they wouldn't listen to him. They just couldn't see past this idea that he's a carpenter, so they don't want to listen to him, right? They didn't want to receive their theology from just the carpenter. He works with his hands. You know, this is a blue-collar guy. You know, he's probably got calluses on his hands. And, you know, you're not very smart. And, you know, I was teaching a class not too awfully long ago. And and uh, <laughs> uh, I had made mention that I worked at one time for, for in a body shop. And and uh, uh, so this guy comes up to me, and uh, I'm teaching uh, Christian evidences. And... Uh, a guy comes up to me and he says, so where you got your degree from? And, uh, you know, that's a little offensive. I try not to let it be offensive. And, I, you know, when I go teach a class somewhere, I don't, I don't tell anybody about any degrees I may or may not have because uh, I don't think that's necessary. You know, some of the greatest preachers I've ever sat and listened to were self-taught. Were self-taught. I've learned more from... Uh, uh, those men probably than from other men. Now, I've got some degrees, but I don't think they matter. And so I just uh, I just ignored that statement. You know, Jesus didn't have any degrees. Did He need them? No, He didn't need them. But they were offended because they couldn't explain Him. They didn't want to get their theology from the carpenter from a man who worked with his hands. You know, look, that's honorable. That's honorable. We need more people like that. And those people did what most people do when they don't understand someone. You know what they did? They resorted to ridicule. They started making a little bit of fun of him, right? Ridicule is the final refuge of a very small mind. That's what ridicule is. And you know what they called him? They said, now wait a minute, he's the carpenter... Isn't that the son of Mary? Now we look at that and we say, well, what's the big deal? Well, it's not a big deal if you live in the 20th, 21st century, if you live in the United States of America or whatever, but if you live during the time of Jesus, that is the an insult of the highest order. No boy 
at the time of Jesus was ever referred to as the son of his mother. Because if you were, that means she played the harlot and you don't know who your father is. So what does that mean? That goes all the way back and this has been following this young man around for 30 something years. You don't know who your daddy is. They've been denying his birth since he was born. Now, you're not the product of a virgin birth. Your mother is a whore. You have no idea who your daddy is. You're illegitimate. So now they begin to cast insults at him. Now let's go back to what they had already recognized. His words. No man spake like this man ever spake. His wisdom. They've recognized his words are full of truth and wisdom. Notice his works. Look what he's doing in the countryside. He's healing people. He's, he's raising people from the dead. He has control over the forces of nature. Now they want to call his mother a harlot and disparage his birth. You don't know who your father is. Now these are people of his own hometown, his family, his friends, or those who would later be his friends, and his neighbors. Ridicule. A man was always called the son of his father, even if his father was dead. They were rejecting the notion that Jesus was the product of a virgin womb. The Son of God. That remains today. That remains today. Have you ever noticed that people seem to have no trouble with the babe in swaddling clothes? They have no trouble with, with this manifestation of Jesus in a manger. They have no problem with that. Here is the problem when one teaches the virgin birth. Now we've got a problem on our hands. Now we've got a problem on our hands. You know, people may accept Jesus going from place to place as if He were some kind of a hippie type, itinerant, peacenik kind of a preacher going around teaching love and acceptance. You know, the philosopher type. That, people don't have a problem with that at all. But when you tell them that He is the only Savior of the world and rejecting Him will lead one uh, to losing their salvation, they can't handle it. Here's something else. Have you ever noticed that people, it doesn't seem like they have a problem with a dead Jesus hanging on a cross in shame? It doesn't seem like they have a problem with that. But they have a real problem with that Jesus coming off of that cross and coming out of that tomb and sitting at the throne of the Father at the right hand the position of power ruling over a kingdom that is in existence right now, now we've got a problem on our hands. We've got a real problem with that. If one's idea of Jesus stops with a baby in a manger and a dead man on a cross, that person's missing the whole point. That person is missing the whole point. That isn't even in the Bible. If that's where it ends. We need to do some more study. There may be a lot of things we don't know about the Bible, but there are a lot of things that we can know. Jesus, the Messiah, came in the flesh. Philippians 2, 5-8. through 8. He was born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14, Luke 1, 25-38. He lived a sinless life. 1 Peter 2, 22. He died on the cross for our sins. Excuse me. On a hill called Calvary. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. 
1 Peter 2, 24. And we can read that prophecy in Isaiah 53, 4-6. He was raised again from the dead three days later, Matthew 28, 1-6. He ascended back to heaven. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father, Hebrews 1, 3. In 10, 12, in Acts chapter 1. He's coming back to this world to receive His people unto Himself. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. John chapter 14. He is the King of kings and He is the Lord of lords. Revelation 19. He is the only door to salvation. He is the only way into life. He is the only truth. Apart from Him, there is no hope. There is no salvation. And there is no heaven. John 14, verse 6. Having understood all of that, and having taught that while here on this earth walking, the people were shunned by His power. That's our third and our last point. And they rejected Him on His return to Nazareth. They rejected Jesus and they rejected His message. And the response to their unbelief is kind of to quote a common proverb. Familiarity breeds contempt. They were familiar with the man and they had contempt toward him. They took for granted what they had and they wanted what they didn't have. They had zero respect for Him. They saw Him as one of their own. And they treated Him as a very common thing that had no worth whatsoever. When we look in verse 5, it tells us that because of their unbelief, Jesus was unable to perform many miracles there. What we read also is that a few sick folks were healed. Now let us understand something here. Their disbelief in Him impacted His abilities in no way whatsoever. He did not perform the miracles there because of their reaction to Him. He chose not to perform the miracles. Some people came to Him in true faith and He performed the miracles because He chose to do that. When we read throughout the Bible and we read the, the, the teachings of the Bible, we come across this phrase, do not cast your pearls before swine. What that statement means is do not give something of value to people who do not appreciate nor do understand the value of the gift you're giving to them. Because when we continue to say that statement, do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they turn and rend you. What does, what does a, a, a hog understand about the value of a pearl? They don't understand anything about it. They turn around and try to eat it. They'll knock you down trying to get to it. Right? We used to have a hog when, the, when we were over in uh, Pikeville. Taylor wanted a pig. I said, okay, let's get one. And we put it in the backyard and that thing would uh, knock you down. If you walked out in the backyard, she, uh, she thought if you were coming out there, you were bringing food. So she'd try to trample you over to get to the food. 
If you took a bucket out that had a million dollars in it, she would try to knock you down to eat the million dollars. That's the whole point, right? Don't throw pearls in front of a stupid animal because they don't get it. Don't throw something valuable down there. And that's what he's talking about. So why would he do that to the, in front of these people? They didn't appreciate it. They, would, they weren't going to come to him recognizing him for what he was at that time. Now later on, several of them did. Even his brother James and, and Jude, they recognized who he was. But because they rejected him, he rejected them. And that's what happens. And, and he talked about that. If you'll confess me before men, my Father will confess you. Or I will confess you before my Father. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father. And that's what, and that's what happened. Jesus rejected the people. And when He saw the depth of their rejection, He marveled at their unbelief. Now this word marvel means to stand in wonder and amazement. Now when we get, uh, uh, look in Galatians chapter 1, we just studied this not too long ago. Paul was astonished that these folks had moved away from the gospel so quickly. Amazing. Astonished. I can't believe what you're doing. He was astonished. Jesus is said to have marveled only twice. Both times his amazement was over faith. Now the first time he marveled at the great faith of a centurion. Luke 7, 1 through 10. Here he is marveling at the lack of faith. Right? He had never seen such great faith even in Israel. That centurion said, you don't even have to come to my home. Speak the words and my child will be healed. He marveled at that. Here he's marveling because these people have no faith. But that's what the Lord does. That's what the Lord does. He's able to do anything. He's able to do anything. Jesus couldn't go back to His own home. A prophet has honor except in his own home is basically the statement that he made. Those people didn't appreciate him. If you have need to answer the Lord's invitation this hour, if you have the need to come back to Him through repentance and confession after having obeyed the gospel, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.